0: And the rest of us will get started in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. I'm uh, carrying on uh, just a short three-part uh, series on what does it mean to be a member, uh, what does it mean to be a healthy member of a church, and what does Scripture say there. And again, this is a, a typical, a topical sermon um, there are times in the life of the church where we got to pause and we got to look at certain topics that, that address us as a, a congregation. Um, and I think this is one of those times. Uh, typically, as you know, I like to walk through books of the Bible because then I'm not going to settle on some of my hobby horses. Uh, then I think As we walk through scriptures, we hear all of God's word, and not just what I want you to hear, or what I, because I'm like anybody else, there's certain things I don't want to tell you, and as we walk through scripture, there's certain things, I, I just can't skip it without you going, hey, what about this passage? And so, but there are times in the life of a church where we have to look at topical pieces, and and as a young church, a church under construction, a church that I don't think will ever arrive, but uh, a church that needs to grow in understanding um, and, and, and kind of the whole formation piece, one of those important pieces is membership. And What does it mean to be a healthy member of a church? Now, you probably have been um, in contact in, in certain settings where you've been you may become alongside some unhealthy views of membership where membership is a privilege of some sort or you, um, it gives you a position of power or something like that. Uh, really membership in scripture is about being part of a family. Uh, it's being accountable with one another. Um, and and so I hope you kind of catch that thought, that drift, that feeling. um, we've put together i think my next slide is a is something that rebecca sent out a covenant membership this is not exhaustive by no stretch of the imagination but i i do think it helps us grapple with um what does it mean to be a member what am i committing to um this is not original we've changed a couple things but um but really this is um So let me read it, okay? Let me start there. We'll walk through these next slides together. Having been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give ourselves to Him, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and having submitted to the authority of God's Holy Word, we do now, relying on His gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. This is a nice way of saying I'm a Christian And by God's grace I'm going to I want to live that way in covenant with with this group. And then we've listed some things. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will continue to grow in faithful study and obedience to God's word. We will walk together in brotherly love as become the members of Community Grace Church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other. And faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembly of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and by a pure and loving example, to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and in an endeavor with the tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lust and remembering that there is on us a special obligation to lead a new and holy life. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain to worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will, when we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's words. And finally, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Every one of those we wills actually just flows out of the text, and truth is, we could probably have a hundred pages of this. But I hope you catch the drift of it. And, and if this is your family, this is your church. We're going to ask uh, um, kind of the process. We're walking through three more, uh, one more sermon after this week, and then. Um, I would love to, I'll probably bring somebody along my wife or somebody else from the church and love to sit down with you if you're interested in becoming a member of the church uh, or just curious or whatever, just to interview you. I want to hear your story and, and allow you to hear my story and story of the church and, uh, and then opportunity to ask questions and, and after all of that, uh, by the end of the last Sunday of April, the hope is that uh, we'll be able to have a, just a, just a formal session service where we'll say these are the individuals who are committing to this covenant tracking got questions feel free to come and talk to me but what does it mean to be a healthy member last week we looked at two words and if you weren't here last week I challenge you to actually go back and listen to those that sermon we looked at the word membership and fellowship and I think that will help us understand what does it mean to be a member of the church. This week and next week, I'd like us to look at the phrase one another. It's a phrase that Paul loves to use. Uh, They're called the one another commands in Scripture. But Peter likes to use it, as you heard Andrew read. John likes to use that phrase, and Jesus actually used that phrase. One another. The one another commands in Scripture in the New Testament. And our passage today that Trish read is Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17. That's really where I want to stay this morning. And I want to just highlight up front some of the one another passages. In verse 9 we have, do not lie to one another. Then if you uh, follow your your finger a little further down, we're told in verse um, 13, bearing with one another at the end of that verse, forgiving each other, similar for, as forgiving one another. Then you go a little further on down, admonishing one another. Now, if I titled the sermon one another, but those one another phrases in that section of, of Colossians is really not the main idea of the Apostle Paul. It's It's an outgrowth or an overflow or... It's because of his main idea that we'll get there. But to understand the riches of those commands, I think we need to understand the, the text in its entirety. And, and I'm hoping what you'll see is that some of that list that you saw in that covenant that we'd uh, like to commit to, you'll find that those things flow out of the text. And so the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, 1-17 is doing two things. First, he's talking to a Christian as an individual. So he's saying, Andrew, I want you to hear verses one through eleven. This is for Andrew, but it's each it's for each of us as individual Christians. And then in verses 12 through 17, he's talking to community grace. Okay? And as he does that, he's got he's got several commands, but he's got five major commands in this text. There's other commands that are subservient to it. But the first one is found in verse 1. Let me just list them. The first one is seek, verse 1. The second command, major command in the text is set your minds, verse 2. The third major command or imperative in, the, in this passage is found in verse 5, put to death. And then you will see uh, in verse 8, The the fourth command, put them all away. Or some of your translations will say put off. And then in verse 12, the final major command in our passage is put on. So seek, verse 1. Set your minds, verse 2. Put to death, verse 5. Put away, verse 8. And then verse 12, put on. We begin with the first 11 verses and he's going to talk to you as an individual Christian. Okay? So this is Paul talking to you as an individual Christian. Notice the first thing he says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. What he's saying simply is this. If you are a Christian, seek the things that are above. Or we could say, if you are one who has put your faith, your confidence, your trust in Jesus, that He is God and that He became a man, that He lived the perfect life that you and I did not live, and that He died the death that we should have died, and that three days later He rose from the grave, and if by putting our confidence in Him and His work, We will someday be raised with Him. We will be made... We are made a new creation, but we will someday be forever with Him. If that is you, then He says, seek the things that are above. If that's not you, you don't have to listen to this command. But if that is you, Paul's talking to you. Now you might say, well, I I might actually push on what I just said. If that isn't you, I encourage you to listen because maybe... It ought to be you, and you want it to be you. But you hear the command, seek the things that are above. That word to seek speaks of desire, want, pursue the things that are above. I I think it speaks to our affections. That word is used in in Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 where he says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the context there is uh, don't worry about what you're going to put on and don't worry about the food you're going to eat but rather seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness like rather than being hungering after passionate after the things of this earth be passionate after the things of that are above seek those things what are those things? Take a close look at Ver- Colossians 3. Um, he says, good things, these, good things for these bookmarkers. There we go. He says, The things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So what are we seeking? We're seeking Jesus. We're seeking God. We're seeking. Jesus who sits upon a throne at the right hand of God as we went through the book of Hebrews Psalm 110 um, that, that, that passage cropped up several times actually if you go through the New Testament the New Testament constantly refers to Psalm 110 Jesus actually referred to Psalm 110 and said Psalm 110 is about me and what Psalm 110 says the Lord says to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool Psalm 110 is a a passage about you are a priest forever under the order of Melchizedek. You might remember that from from the book of Hebrews. Psalm 110 is the Lord is at your right hand and he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. That's Psalm 110. And when I stop to pause and think about our our verse first, where it says we're to think about, we're we're to seek after the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, I I, am immediately drawn to Psalm 110, where I remember that Jesus is God Himself. He's my Lord. He sits at the right hand of God. He's in charge of all things. He will execute judgment upon all the nations. He is the priest, the forever priest, that allows me to be in God's presence. And so when I'm seeking those things, how do I do that? how do i seek the things that are above i think it starts like this i'll give you just a couple of examples this is not complete but i think it's like this starting your day like this and saying father thank you for today i got this these are the things on my plate today father i i've got to deal with this this task i I, I, Lord I pray for my kids Lord I, I lift up to you my wife but Lord I thank you that you are in charge that you are upon the throne that you are in control and Lord I want to know you I want to know who you are thank you for who you are like you get that that's how we seek the things above it, it's, it's kind of like this we're driving down the road on the prairie road get out of the city and you know, you, you know where you can kind of shut your mind off sort of And you're driving down the road and and, and your your mind and your 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 prayers turn to songs. And you begin to praise God for who he is, for what he's done. Apostle Paul says, if you're a Christian, if, if you've been raised with Christ, this should be your life. Now just stop for a minute. Think back to yesterday. Think about all the things you did yesterday. The point you got up to the point you went to bed. And your eyes fell asleep, your, your eyes closed and you fell asleep and you don't remember anything else after that. Was there a portion of your life where you literally stopped and sought the things that are above this Jesus who sits at the right hand of God the Father? Was there a place, a time where you praised God and where you worshipped him and and, and, and your affections went after him? You don't have to answer that question, but I think it's important that you answer it personally. And then my question is, now in light of that and in light of what you've just heard, what will today look like differently? If I, put kind, of, I kind of butchered that sentence. But how will it look differently? What, to, what will tomorrow look like? That's a command. It's not a suggestion. Paul's not saying this is how you ought to live. This is, says this is what you're supposed to do. Now, second thing he says, found in verse 2, set your minds on things. Now, I know the old King James says, set your affections. I think they get that, they translate that not quite right. Set your minds is the idea to ponder and to understand and to contemplate and to meditate. So it's a little different than the first part. S- slight variation, but set your minds on the things that are above. Not on the things that are on the earth. So hold it. Is, is God saying that I'm not supposed to think about Lynn? And I'm not supposed to think about my kids? And I'm not supposed to think about the, the, the vehicle that needs new brakes? I don't think that's what he's saying. Because look at the things, on, uh, that, are, the things that are on the earth. as actually defined in verse 5 for us. Put to death there for what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, that kind of stuff. Instead, we're to set our minds on the things that are above. Now, he defines what's above, I think, in verses 3 and 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. text is telling me to do is I'm supposed to ponder the reality that that my life here is not my life here. Because I'm a Christian, my life is actually hidden with Christ in the heavenlies. I've died with Him. That means my sins have been forgiven, been cleansed. I'm seen as His beloved. He delights in me. I'm righteous and 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 someday this jesus is going to come back remember he's the one that sits upon the throne the right hand of god he's coming back to judge the nations he's coming back and when he comes back it says i will appear with him in glory i'm going to ponder that now how do i know that is, do i know that by going to the mountains there's something beautiful about going to the mountains and you look around and you see god look you're amazing about what the text says, I'm supposed to ponder who I am in Christ. I'm supposed to ponder the implications of what Christ did for me. I'm supposed to think about the good news, the gospel, and, and allow it to shape me. And, and the question is simply as you're driving down that, that dirt road, or that maybe you don't do the dirt road, but as you're going to the mountains, you're heading off to the mountains, and you have a moment when you're not really busy. You don't have to think about work. You don't have to do this. You don't have to deal with that. Where does your mind go? What's your happy place? Where do your thoughts naturally go? The text tells us our thoughts, our mind should be pondering the things that are above where our real life is where eternity is and again there's an active quality in that the challenge is okay think about yesterday again was there any point in your yesterday where you were pondering the things that are above and, and, and the only way that's going to happen is if you open up this book. Because it's in this book that we hear who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And what Jesus is going to do. You can't do that without opening up the book. Now, I, I get it. Some days we, 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 we fail and we fall short and we don't open up the book. And I mean, God is gracious. He forgives and all of that. But But you're not going to grow if you don't have this book and you're open up and if you're not reading it and you're not pondering it. So what does that look like? Just reading the text and then stopping to think about it and goes, what does this passage tell me about Jesus? What's this passage tell me about who God is? And, and as you go through your day, stop every once in a while and think about it. And consider it and go, okay, well, in light of that, what does this mean for me? That's command number two. Again, these are not suggestions. Paul is not simply saying, you know what, this would be a really good idea. He's saying this is what you're supposed to do. Again, he's talking to you as an individual, as an individual Christian. The third command is, is, is geared straight at us again as individuals, and that is put to death. Now, Paul's not saying, kind of ignore it once in a while. Paul's not saying, you know, feed it a little bit and 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 you know, hide it in that closet. He's saying, kill it. And what are we called to kill? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, I think he he makes it very clear we're, we're to put to death what is earthly in us so i think he's not here speaking so much of our behaviors but our thought life the word sexual immorality there is uh, a word that can speak to behavior in the scriptures it speaks to everything from bestiality to homosexuality to um to uh, pedophilia, the whole nine yards. Anything, sex, anything, any sex outside of the context of a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Pretty narrow. Pretty, pretty much not very culturally sensitive. But that's how that word is used. It's, it's the same word that we get a word pornography from. And in the context here, I think he's speaking about what's going on in our mind, in our heart, what's in us. And so the sexual morality, the thoughts that are within us, the impurity is literally the filth within us. The passion, the the desires, and here the word is usually used for our sexual desires that that are unhealthy, that are wrong, that are outside the confines of a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Evil desire goes beyond, I think, be, beyond the sexual. And that's anything, any desires that are wrong. And so it's like, man, my neighbor's going on this trip to Hawaii, and boy, would I like that. Well, no, no. praise God that your neighbor gets to go on a trip to Hawaii and thank God for what he's given you. And covetousness, greed, not being content with what we have. Always wanting the next trip and always wanting the next experience and always wanting the next house and always wanting the better car. We're to kill that stuff. Not give it any room. Put it to death. Now, part of the way we put it to death is what we just read. Where's our affections going? What did you do yesterday to, 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 to seek after the Lord? What did you do yesterday to set your minds to contemplate the things that are above? Those are connected. But to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, your sexual immorality, your impurity, your passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is, this is hard, idolatry. When I always want more, never satisfied with what God has blessed me with and gifted me with, whether it be something as simple as, oh man, I wish I had this, or I wish I, whatever, fill in the blank. The Apostle Paul says, that's me worshiping that rather than God. That's me loving that rather than loving God. Quite frankly, I think we're all guilty. Including the preacher. Okay. I, I said in our prayer time. Before we gathered this morning. I said this passage. This, this text is actually quite convicting. Hopefully not just for you. But it doesn't deal with me. That we've got a problem. Put it to death. Now he gives a little bit of incentive. In verse 6. On the account of these. The wrath of God is coming. These things will destroy us. So we should be actively trying to destroy them. And then he says, and these you too once walked when you were living in them. But that's not you no more. Remember, because verse 1, if you then have been raised with Christ, that's us. He goes on. Command number 4, but now you must put them all away. Or, or put them off. It's like taking off the jacket. We're going we're gonna to put that off. We're going we're gonna to turn our back on that. And now he moves into practices. Actually, things we do. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have it putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That means I'm literally supposed to say, as I'm dealing, killing with the, 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 the passions and the desires that are wrong within me, I'm also... told to take off the anger and the wrath that comes out of me. And there's an active piece to that. I use the illustration sometimes when the kids were a lot smaller often I would come home and I'd just be a cranky old I won't finish the rest of the sentence. But the house was in chaos. You know, the big chicken dinner and my plate wasn't ready to go. You know, the TV and the comfy couch wasn't ready for me. Like, you know, the king had arrived and everything should be in place, right? And I would kind of be out of sorts, a little bit upset, you know? A little, I use the nice word uh, irritated, which is really, I was angry. This is a nice way of saying angry. And when I came to the realization that that is an outward action of an inward ugliness, I not only needed to put to death that inward ugliness that motivated that outward action, but I needed to put off that outward action. And often that meant, as I was walking up to the house, ready to open the door, I had to tell myself, I will serve my wife. I'm not coming home to be served. I'm coming home to serve her. I'm coming here to serve my kids. I'm coming to lay down my life for them. I'm not going to be filled with wrath and anger. Rather, I'm going to be filled with a love for those around me. I still have to do that. I have to put it off. I have to take it off. And you can, you can look up all of these words. But what's, what's fascinating to me is verse 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul says, Here there is not a Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What's he doing there? I'll tell you what I think he's doing. I think what he's doing there is, Elra, you're no longer Dutch. And and so you can't you can't blame your your tightness on being Dutch. You're called to be generous because you're a new person in Christ. And you're supposed to open up your wallet and give graciously to others. Because you once were Dutch but now you are in Christ. Does that make sense? Or we could say, my anger. Sometimes, like Lynn goes, "Man, your family—the way they deal with stuff—sometimes." And I go, "Yeah, just that's just the way I am." No, I got to change because I'm a new creation. There's stuff I've got to put off. Verse ten having put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, God is changing us to become more and more like him. So we're to put to death, we're to put off. But he doesn't stop there. You're probably going, what in the world has this got to do with membership? We're getting there. Verse 12, the last command, and he's talking to the church. Put on. Notice what he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. As, as, As those that God chose before the foundation of the universe, not because we had done anything good or bad at that point, because God in his grace chose us. Because God in his grace decided to send his son to die for us. Because God in His grace made us holy simply by us putting our faith and a trust in what He's done. Therefore we are now righteous. He says He calls us holy and He calls us beloved. What does that mean to be beloved? He means He delights in us. He loves us. Not because of what I did yesterday or what I should have done yesterday and didn't do. He delights in us because of what Jesus did for us. And we put our faith in this Jesus. He says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, what are we to put on? Compassionate hearts. So when I open that door, rather than putting on that irritated heart, I put on, I'm going to walk in here with compassion. Because after all, isn't that what God has done for me? And after all, all day I've been thinking about Him, or in my moments I've been praising Him, And and it's really hard, as Kathy said in our small group about a couple months ago, it's really hard to thank God in one hand and grumble on the other hand. When we're praising God, there's there's no—it's like we just don't grumble. When we're praising God, it's easy to be compassionate. But when we're thinking about ourselves and we're staring at our navel, for some of us that's easier than others. It's easy to grumble. You know our our culture tells us we're to follow our heart or to be, to be true to ourselves, but the text tells us we're to actually follow Jesus. We're to our eyes are to be lifted up outside of ourselves to and seek the things that are above and and to set our mind on the things that are above. It's a, it a different picture. And then we're to put on humility and meekness and patience. Here's one of those one and others. Bearing with one another. That means putting up with each other. Now be honest. There's people in this church that you just put up with. Now, I might be one of them. But well, that's what the text says. Now that doesn't mean that we don't, that doesn't mean we don't warn them and, and speak into their life, but we're to put up with each other. But is that really that hard when we've just paused and stopped and thanked God for how he put up with us? <laughs> it's like, okay, God, you got it. Because a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. One of the biggest problems in churches is not so much that we do bad things to each other or say bad things to each other. We do and we will. I think one of the biggest, bigger problems is that we don't forgive each other. To forgive means to let go. That means they don't owe us anything. That's how God forgave us. It doesn't mean we forget what they did. That's, that's, that's impossible, but it doesn't mean we let go of what they owe us. Sometimes we hang on and, oh, they, they, they owe me an apology. It might be wise and it might be healthy that they apologize. That would be a good thing, but, but to forgive means I'll let this one go even if they don't apologize. That's how a healthy church functions. Where there's unforgiveness, it just causes all kinds of above all, verse 14, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That doesn't happen unless we're putting these things on. And and notice we're all in process. I haven't arrived. So be patient with me, please. You haven't arrived, so remind me to be patient with you. Now, I love what he goes to. He goes to verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So remember how he started by going, um, we're to, as individuals, we're to set our minds on the things that are above. And I said, you've got to open up the Bible to do that. Now he's telling the church, you've got to open up the Bible And let the word of God dwell in you richly. Why is it that almost everything we do, I know we had a games night on Friday and we didn't open up the Bible. There's times when you can do that. That's okay. But almost everything else we do, we open up the book. Because we want the word of God to dwell in us richly so that we together are setting our minds and our eyes and our hearts and our affections on the things that are above. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That so this is saying one another, not just Elroy every Sunday teaching and admonishing you, not just Tom and small groups teaching and admonishing the group in that home or me in our home. It's teaching and admonishing one another. I'll show you how this works. Yesterday. Our small group of men gather together, so Gord, David, and I get together every Saturday morning from 8 to 9. We just do it an hour because we know we're busy, and we, we, it's fairly simple. We're pretty, we get there pretty punctual. Yesterday I was a few minutes late, but we get there pretty punctual. We, we, we talk a little bit about the weather, but then we basically open up our Bibles or iPads or whatever, and we read the next section of the text, and then we talk about it. And then, then we're moving on. Like By 9 o'clock, we're out of there and going on in our day. I've been looking forward week after week to that, that hour. Because it's not just me teaching and admonishing. It's David and Gord teaching and admonishing me as well. So the week before, we had just a beautiful, like the hour went by, boom. <coughs> But on Saturday, John chapter 5, 1 through 30 just wasn't cutting it for me. I don't know if I needed another cup of coffee or what it was, but it just was hitting the, the the outside of my head and bouncing off. And I was asking all the questions, and the other guys were asking the questions, what does it say about God, what does it say about Christ, and and, and that kind of stuff. And we were walking through the text, and then, and then the penny dropped. Early on in the conversation, David said that, did you know the sheep gate you know what that is i go no i don't i don't know what it is Gord didn't know what it was he says the sheep gate is the is the the place where the high priest would enter into jerusalem with the lamb and so in john chapter five jesus is entering through into jerusalem through the sheep gate and so they oh he's the high priest and and he's the lamb well that's cool cool little nugget we tucked it in the back of our brain but the, still, the text wasn't tracking with me. And we talked about, well, Christ is obviously God because this is what he did. He's obviously human because this is what he did. But those were just like facts at that point. In my, I don't know. Am I making any sense? Sometimes you read the Bible and it just doesn't... You see what it says, but you don't really see what it says. And then all of a sudden, I mentioned... Did you notice the man at at the water, he didn't seem to cry out to God in faith like most of the healings God just Jesus just walked up to him and says do you want to be healed which was uh, like and the other guys go yeah and, and then all of a sudden Gord says well last week remember the woman at the well how she tried to satisfy herself with all these other individuals and and really what only satisfies is Jesus who gives us a living water And this guy was trying to be satisfied, trying to be healed by running to the water, but he couldn't get there. And it was only Jesus that could satisfy. And when Gord said that, it was just like, that's what I needed to hear. Gord was admonishing me. He was teaching me from the Word of God. And I'm the guy who's got the seminary degree, and he doesn't. we're called to do as Christians. Teach and admonish one another. Now, not only that, but we're to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our heart. Again, that's not really a suggestion. That's a command. And you might say, well, already I sing like you do. Not very good. That's okay. Sing really loud. You see how the Word of God among us moves us to gratefulness and thankfulness. And then notice what verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. He's ending the same way He started. Together <laughs> we're seeking Him. Together. What does it mean to be a member of the church? That, that covenant that I read, that helps this passage begins to help shape But we're the body of Christ. You and I cannot live the Christian life alone. We can't do it. Another area of our culture, our culture loves to say, follow your heart or, or, or uh, be, be who you are. And the, and the scriptures say, actually, no, you, we're called to be pointing our our eyes, looking at Jesus, and and, and we're to become like him. But our culture also says that we can do this world, we can walk this world on our own, and we can't. I can't. I need you. And quite frankly, sometimes I think I can do it without you. And I've hung around most of you long enough to know that a lot of you think you can do it without me, or without us. And really, to be a member of one another, member of a body is just simply saying I can't and so what body what church will you call yourself and say this is the one another that I'm committing to and again I'm going to say excuse my English if it ain't here it ought to be somewhere else but you can't make it on your own I can't let's pray Lord we love you that we recognize that our love falls short there's nowhere near the love that you have for us and so my Lord and my God I pray you would help us as a church know what it means to, to seek you what it means to set, up, set our mind on the things that are above but Father, would you help us as individuals in this church, but even as a church, to put to death the things that are in us that shouldn't be in us, that, that are earthly in nature. And Father, would you, with increasing measure, help us to put off the things or the actions that once that defined us but should no longer define us. And Father, help us to put on, put on the clothing, the actions that is, is actually like you. Father, I pray that we would do that in the context—not just alone, but together, one another. Father, help us to grow in that. Please help me to grow in that, but help us to grow in that. Lord, being members of one another is just is really living the Christian life—not alone, but together. Would you help us to do that? In the name of Jesus, we pray.